Thanks, John. Well, as you know, we've been in this four-part series on marriage, where so far we've looked at three couples in the Old Testament, which is the period of time before Jesus. And so as we conclude this series, we just want to take a moment to acknowledge all of the possible places people may be in when it comes to this subject. Yeah, maybe you're here this morning and this morning and you're married, maybe you're single and you would like to be married, perhaps you're single and you don't want to be married, or perhaps you're here and you're divorced, or maybe your marriage is just in a really difficult place, maybe you've lost someone. We just want to acknowledge that this series can be painful for those reasons. And what we're wanting to do in this series is to help strengthen relationships. So we're going to be looking today at a marriage as a mirror for who God is and how he loves. And so, what we don't want you to walk out confused on today is this very point. That whoever you are, wherever you're at, whatever you've done, that God will pursue you because he loves you. So genuinely, if you don't take anything else from this talk, we won't be offended. Just take that point. And we know that marriage doesn't span the whole human experience, but it is something that God has created. It's something the Bible speaks about, which is why we're speaking about it. And it is my first time preaching here this morning. I am, thank you. I am a total newbie, so please, uh, oh, second time, you're quite right. I did do it this morning, so here I am again. This is my second time preaching here this morning, amen. So please go easy on me, which I'm sure you will. I love this church family. I've been here since the beginning, so it genuinely is a real honor and joy to be bringing the word this morning. So I definitely feel like I'm in safe hands, and hopefully you feel like you're in safe hands. Hopefully we'll see at the end. (laughs) (laughs) So the first thing to say is that me and Ant, we're full-on experts on marriage, because we've been married for so long. I mean, how long has it been? Four whole years. So we're complete experts. Yeah. We're not. (laughs) (laughs) No, and so we want to take a moment to honor all of the people in the room who have been married a lot longer, who have a lot more wisdom to be able to share on marriage. And so this message today and this series really is, is a conversation starter. It's not intended to be a definitive theology or the handbook for marriage. So we got together nine years ago and you could say that it was love at first sight, although I didn't really have a choice because God told Joe that we were going to be married and then Joe told me. So yeah. that's how it happened. Absolutely. I mean, I went after that calling hard. I mean, I ran after that. Me and Anne, we worked together one afternoon, you could say I borrowed his coat when really I stole it. Um, brought it back to community houses on number 10. Uh, woo, yes, community houses. And I heard that men love the smell of a sweet perfume. So obviously I got my sweetest perfume and I drenched it in probably around 10 years worth of perfume. So he smelt me for the decades to come. And it works. It if works. you need a tip for... I'll be know, around after the service. If you want to come and get some tips, I've got the perfume. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so we fell in love. And the whole time we were dating, Joe kept dropping hints about the person who would one day propose to her, which I thought was strange at the time because, as far as I knew, I was the only person in relationship with her, but that they would need to propose to her in New York. Which was a joke. Well, so I took that joke seriously, and so I flew her to New York, and we got engaged on a rooftop uh, against the Manhattan skyline, so it was a little bit of a fairy tale. It was, and it was really beautiful, but we can guarantee you we definitely left that fairy tale in New York. I mean, we've had a great... <laughs> no offense. 
Oh, Lord. Um, we left the fairy tale in New York, and it's been a great marriage, but it's definitely been a marriage with challenges. I mean, we've seemed to have been living with others throughout our whole marriage. My nan had our bed at one point, which was odd. Um, we had tragedy. True story. True story. We had tragedy, and we had grief, and family misfortune, and high-pressure jobs. I mean, it's been a ride. But amongst all, it has been so beautiful because of the challenges we've overcome together. So we began this marriage series a few weeks ago with Lance and Kerry, who share with us about husbands and wives submitting to one another in selfless love, on mission together, which leads to enrichment. And then John reminded us that marriage is not the answer to all our problems. And then last week, Phil brought a powerful message, because it's a personal one for him and his wife, Janita, about the story of Abraham and Sarah. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And he encouraged us that our story is not yet finished and that we can trust him in the pain and the waiting. And today we come to a passage that was so personal for the ones that it was about. We're going to look at a beautiful but really painful story all at the same time, where we see that this marriage had every single reason for a divorce, but God uses it to tell us something about him and about us. Many of us here this morning, we are married. I can look around, I see the lovely married faces. But we live in a society today where marriage and relationship kind of is the same thing, where people think that the only difference is a ceremony or a piece of paper. So people practice the idea of marriage without the actual commitment. And when it doesn't work out, people take their toothbrush and their broken heart, and they basically practice divorce. Because when things get tough, our society tells us just to move on. So we are going to be talking about restoration today. So we're super aware that there are situations in this room today which actually seem impossible to recover from. And of course, there are some situations in marriage, in relationship, which can be harmful and actually not safe to say. And so please, before we move any further, we're not talking about that today. So we're going to be stepping together into a story 760 years before the birth of Jesus. In those days, God's people, Israel, are divided into two kingdoms, north and south. Jeroboam II is the king of the northern territory. He's Israel's, one of Israel's worst kings. And yet the people there were enjoying a time of unprecedented prosperity. Uh, harvest is plentiful, merchants are selling their goods, life is easy. But sadly, whenever we see this kind of economic increase, what often comes with it is a moral and a spiritual decrease. And so that's what we're seeing here. The southern kingdom was faithful in following God, but the northern kingdom had chosen to worship pagan gods from other countries instead of knowing the Lord who had rescued them already out of slavery and been faithful to them. So God raises up a prophet, Hosea, to speak into the spiritual adultery of the land. And we hear a very unusual story. Now, many prophets before the time of Jesus comes on the scene, they have unusual assignments. And this one is perhaps most unique of all. You know, many prophets in the Old Testament didn't just get to speak their prophecy, they actually lived their prophecy to feel what God feels. So hands up in the room if you've seen, heard, read of the story of Hosea and Gomer. Anyone in the room? Ah, oh, quite a few, that's good. Not a people. You'd be forgiven for thinking that was us if you read the Coastline Weekly <laughs> this week because their names appeared under a photo that's of us. great. <laughs> Loved that. <laughs> Uh, But just to help you visualize these people whose story we're stepping into, then uh, here's an image of Hosea and Gomer. 
And if you need some hope here this morning, then hopefully you've come to the right message. So we're going to dive into scripture together. A couple of verses in Hosea chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute, so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshipping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. Now, this is an unusual request to marry a prostitute. I mean, Hosea must have been thinking, sorry, Lord, come again. Is that, am I really hearing correctly from you? So if we were living today, the story would probably go something like this. There's a girl with a past. There's maybe some brokenness there. And so she's seeking validation with relationships in lots of men. And so this young preacher comes along, a man of God, And she says, wow, finally a decent man likes me. They get married. They have some hopes and dreams. She gets pregnant. They go to the ultrasound. It's a boy. What are we going to call him? And they call him kind of not the most popular name at the time. It's the name Jezreel, which has something to do with God's judgment. We have two more children, a girl and a boy, and their names represent the ways the people have rejected God. Well, also not very popular names at the time. So the girl is called Lo Rahama, and the boy is called Lo Ami. And what do they mean? Yeah, it's a little bit awkward. Uh, so their names mean uh, not loved, and uh, the people are no longer my people. Savage. Savage lot. <laughs> yeah. So for a few years, their marriage seems to be going okay, until one morning, Hosea wakes up, and Goma is nowhere to be found. She's gone. So Hosea, he's a single dad with three kids. He's arguably one of the most famous people in all of Israel. So it's pretty embarrassing. I mean, he must be thinking to himself, I'm supposed to be a beacon of hope to the people of Israel, and I can't even keep my wife at home. It turns out she's fallen back into prostitution. There's something unresolved in her heart that she's acting out on. And so instead of being faithful to one man and loving her husband, Hosea, Pursuing him, she sold herself and her love in exchange for expensive jewelry and a place of status in society. So as we read on in chapter 2, God says to Hosea, Their mother is a shameless prostitute. And she became pregnant in a shameful way. She said, I'll run after other lovers and sell myself to them for the finer things in life. When she runs after her lovers, she won't be able to catch them. She will search for them, but she will not find them. Then she will think, I might as well return to my husband, for I was better off with him than I am now. She doesn't even realize it was I who gave her everything she has, the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, those finer things. I even gave her silver and gold, but she gave all my gifts away. And so the first thing that we learn about this relationship is that one of them, Goma, believed the lie that what I'm missing is better than what I have. And maybe there's some of us in this room today that we've pursued relationships and have thought the other person is going to fulfill something deep within that we think is missing in our lives. And when they didn't, it just led to disappointment. So then you think, oh, well, I'm better off with another lover. And you go find something that works for you. Go find someone who suits you better. And what Goma does is what people have been doing for centuries. 
She thinks, maybe someone else, something else, can fulfill me better. That's because the reality is that no community, no church, no friendship, not even a marriage can fulfill or meet all of your needs. And they also don't complete you. And they were never meant to. They're supposed to meet some of your needs, but they can't take God's place. That part of you that's always unsatisfied after the the shopping spree or the new house, the new job, the vacation, move churches, the relationship, even the marriage. That part of us that's always looking for fulfillment is where God longs to step in. I mean, think about it. Marriage is two becoming one. And that math doesn't work if we think it means completion. Has anyone heard of the trending meme about girl maths? Well, like marriage, it's a bit of a mystery. If you take our credit card, for example, I have to keep explaining to Joe that this is not Monopoly money. Couldn't believe it. This is real money. So Joe's seeing Taylor I Swift next year. It's gone on the credit card, and at this point, she thinks it's free. Taylor Swift, yeah. I, I mean, mean, she better be worth it, because I that bill is coming out. She will out. be worth it, Taylor Swift. She absolutely will be, so thank you. <laughs> thinking that someone else will complete you, that's just really bad theology, because it makes single people feel incomplete. Yeah, and you know, if you are single here this morning and you've surrendered your life to Jesus, if you're in relationship with Jesus, let me just say to you, church, you already are complete. You already are a new creation. Please don't think you need a relationship or a marriage to complete you if you are a follower of Jesus. That's just not what marriage is. And so we read on Hosea chapter 3. Then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver, five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. So the people at this time, they had a distorted view of what love is. They thought that it can be purchased or that it's found in the self or in things. And so into this moment, God says, I will demonstrate to my people what love really is. And so can you imagine this moment in these people's lives? That God says to Hosea, go and look for her. Go and find your wife in a place where men of God should not be. As Hosea is a famous prophet. He's a seer. He's a man of God, and God says, essentially, go down to the red light district. That's where your wife is. And so Hosea, he goes down. He's walking through these streets, and he's having to ask other men, hey, I mean, this is is a bit awkward, but have you seen my, have you been with my wife recently? Have you seen her? And so eventually, as he's pointed in the right direction, most scholars believe that Hosea actually walks in on an auction, and so he, he would have been saying to the guys around him and to the auctioneer, that, that's, my, that's my wife. The auctioneer doesn't care. He says, well, she's for sale. This is the price. And so Hosea pays the price to rescue his wife from the position and the situation she's found herself in. But what was that like for Goma? I mean, she probably never even fathomed that he would come down here and find her and have to rescue her from this place. And although they were married technically, they were married legally, she had walked away emotionally, spiritually. 
Hosea had to buy her back from slavery. I mean, did you catch that in the text? Hosea had to buy something back that should have already belonged to him. Gomer could have said that she was married to Hosea technically, but her heart just didn't belong to him anymore. Maybe some of you here today are here, and it's been really hard. Maybe you're in a marriage, and you actually don't know where your heart is at the moment in that marriage. Well, today this passage speaks to us in two important ways. It's Hosea's story, but it's also God's story. It's about marriage, but it's also about our story and our relationship to our Father God. We have our own relationships, but we're also part of a much larger story that's going on here. And so this marriage is a metaphor for God's longing for his people to come back to him. So this passage, it's for everyone. It's for you who are sitting here this morning. It's for people in our town. It's for those of you who are watching online. This passage is for all of us. Because throughout history, you know, you and I, we consistently turn our back on God and we wander off in spiritual prostitution. Yet God is always faithful to his creation. And I myself, I am a living testimony of this faithfulness. Um, As a teenager, as I was growing up, I was practicing witchcraft. I was into tarot cards and Ouija boards, and I couldn't actually be more spiritually dark if I possibly tried. I was absolutely spiritually in the red light district. And the actual fact I'm sitting here preaching the word of God is honestly a miracle. It doesn't make sense. Okay, in the natural, it doesn't make sense. You know, that is the goodness of God, that he will go after you, and he is faithful. Joe's story represents the way that the people in this place had turned away from God. So as we consider that, I'm going to dive back into chapter 2. I'm going to read a couple of verses that we've already read, but with a couple of others as well. But now bring charges against Israel, your mother, for she is no longer my wife, and I'm no longer her husband. But hear God's heart in this. It's not that, that this is because God doesn't want this. This is, this is actually what God is desperate for, to be a husband to a faithful wife. Tell her to remove the prostitute's makeup from her face and the clothing that exposes her breasts. Their mother is a shameless prostitute and began, became pregnant in a shameful way. She said, I'll run after other lovers and sell myself to them for those finer things. But when she runs after her lovers, she won't be able to catch them. She'll search for them, but she will not find them. Then she'll think, I might as well return to my husband, for I was better off with him than I am now. She doesn't even realize it was I who gave her everything she has, those finer things. I even gave her silver and gold, but she gave all my gifts to Baal. I will punish her for all those times when she burned incense to her images of Baal, a false god, when, he, when she put on her earrings and jewels and went out to look for her lovers, but forgot all about me, says the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you are running from God. Maybe you don't know him. Maybe you've run after other lovers, things that are places where, without even realizing it, you're actually searching for God, but you haven't found him there, those places you've been going. What have you sold yourself to? Maybe there are things that you think can meet your needs, but they haven't. Is there something that's stopping you from accepting God's love? 
We want to say that we believe God has already pursued you. So if that's you, there's no accident that you're here today. And church, you know, don't be fooled. You know, we live in a world where anything and everything will try and convince you that you can do this life without God. And we're here to tell you this morning that is a lie from the pit of hell. It's just not true. And, you know, maybe you know God, but your love has dimmed. Maybe you're chasing other things. And how much do we take God for granted, even though he gave up everything to be with us? But we still run after other idols. We still have parts of us that can forget him. But God has something to say to us when we do. In chapter 3, God says to Hosea, Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. Go and love her, even though she's been unfaithful to you, because this is how I love people who turn away from me. You know, God knows how good he is and how foolish we are when we reject him. When we reject his love, we find out what life is like without him. And so God says to us, okay, you want to go and do life in your own strength, in your own ways? You want to do marriage without me? You want to do relationships Without me, see how it works out with idols in front of me. Without my word, my presence, and my spirit to guide you. And in our society, this is what happens when we get let down. We move on. We go somewhere else. So what is the treasure that we can unearth here? When Hosea buys Gomer back from slavery, this is a prophetic picture of the future. Because this is what Jesus does for humanity but not with silver. It's with his blood to rescue us from the bondage that we find ourselves in, to sin and death. And we're rescued forever. And you know, God loves us because his love is not dependent on us. The Bible tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the only way that any of us can love one another in any relationship we're in is because he first loved us. And just as Hosea felt what God felt, can't you feel the longing in that passage for God just to be with his people? And that's what the whole of the Bible is about, God pursuing after us to be with us. On the cross, Jesus defeated death. But it's more than that. When Jesus said with his last breath, it is finished, it's a cry of the heart. It's him saying, no longer in all of human history will my people ever again be separated from me. He is pursuing us because he loves us so that we will be his and he will be ours. Isaiah 2.20 says, I will be faithful to you and make you mine and you will finally know me as Lord. So who is Hosea? Well, maybe that's easy. That's God and that's who Jesus comes to be. So who is Gomer? That's you and that's me. And you know, Right now, you are on a miraculous side of history, church, where nothing you can ever do will separate you from God's love. And you know, if you've never seen a miracle, this one's it. And it will be the greatest miracle for all eternity that we get to have relationship with God. And you know, we should never grow tired or weary of that wonder. You know, Hosea's name actually means salvation. That's much better than the kids. (laughs) (laughs) That's... 
That's very true. And so we read this foretelling of this act of love from God to us, this picture of Jesus coming to be our salvation in chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. But then I will win her back once again. I'll lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. I'll return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of hope, sorry, the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from captivity. I will make the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. And that is such a beautiful picture of God. But this is a marriage series, so what does it look like? What hope do we have for restoration? Well, there are two ways to have a great marriage. The first is to do everything right and never sin. So I've got that down really well in our marriage, just so you know. <laughs> do you not agree? Well, maybe a little bit better than me, <laughs> probably. But... Or we can walk through the valley of trouble together with God. You know, we don't always do everything right in relationships, and sometimes we actually want to be more right than do the right thing. And so we mess up, we're rebellious, we reject one another, you know, but instead of walking away and giving up, we can cry together. With God, we can hug, we can apologize, we can let God chisel our rough edges of selfishness and pride. And on the other side, when you walk through together, you can find hope. You know, some marriages can walk through the valley of betrayal, of adultery, of rejection and deceit. I mean, we've seen it in ourselves, in marriages around us, that when people walk through it together, allowing God to lead the way, there can be hope when you pursue God, not letting go of him just as he does with us. And this is how Hosea was able to walk into that valley and into that auction because he knew that this marriage was about something bigger because it was motivated by God. And you know, marriage is actually God's favorite illustration for the good news and the gospel of Jesus. If you don't know why you're married, it, you're going to need it to be bigger and better than just about fulfilling your own needs. Marriage is to glorify God and extend his kingdom. It was his idea in the first place. Yeah, marriage is like a, a long distance road trip. And if you know anything about our cars, we take the train. Yeah, um, a bit more reliable that way. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, well, not anymore, actually, thanks to Warren for finding us a new car. Thank so you, just Warren. a shout out to honour him. <laughs> but, you know, we need to take some reliable transportation to reach the destination. And so if we don't know the motivation, if we don't know why we're married, then it can't take us on that journey. And if this is God's favorite illustration for his love for the church, for salvation, church, how much more will the enemy try and take it down? We have to be spiritually wise, spiritually sound to hear that the enemy hates marriage and he wants anything to try and destroy it. I mean, like you said earlier, the serpent, he turns up in the, gar in the garden after marriage, after the unity. He's here to kill and destroy. And as well, if you're sat here today and you've been divorced or maybe you're going through a divorce, Anne and I, we, we genuinely sat here for hours trying to work out what the right way to say it is because we absolutely acknowledge that there's really no condemnation in broken relationships at all. So genuinely, please do forgive us if anything we've said with that hasn't landed correctly, but know that our heart is completely for you and 
we haven't been divorced ourselves, so we can't understand, but we believe that amongst the heartache that God loves you and he can be enough in that pain. And for those of you who are married, you'll know that marriage is hard. It's one of the most pressurizing relationships we can be in because it's two people becoming one, becoming flesh with one another. This is why the Bible describes marriage as a profound mystery. And we're pretty sure that Hosea would have thought the same. Sure he would. We can often fall short of preferring the other and loving someone unconditionally. And so whether we're married or we're single here today, in all of our relationships, we are to love one another continually, even after we let one another down. This is how God shows his love to us, and this is how we then demonstrate his love to the world. You know, for us, you may think, well, you know, what do they know? And we definitely don't know much. I know we're experts, remember? <laughs> oh, we were experts four years, four years in. Wow. But maybe you're thinking <laughs> that, you know, they got engaged in New York. It is a bit of a fairy tale. They've only been married four years. You know, the reality is that even in that time, all of our stuff that's in us comes out. Absolutely. I mean, we've been through so much. I mean, I'll just say we've been a mess and it's okay. We are the first ones to admit it. Yeah, we've been through uh, grief, challenges, pressure, uh, despair at times over family situations. And just like Goma, when Hosea marries her, all of her stuff is in there and it comes out. And all of that stuff is in the Bible for generations to read. So I'm sure Goma <laughs> really appreciated that being printed for the generations to come. I mean, sometimes I'm like, I'm so glad that my stories aren't in the Bible to yeah, read. Yeah, I definitely am. <laughs> so bless her. But Hosea accepts Goma as she is. You know, he even goes back, even after the disappointment, because there's no shame in this love. This is why God says to Hosea, love her as the Lord loves. Love her as God loves us undeservingly. Love her as God loves us after we run after the idols of this world and continue to worship other things. So how do you love and forgive? The same way that God has loved and forgiven you unconditionally. You know, even though we can't control the outcome of the situations we're in and the relationships that we face, God is very clear on what we should do, that we should love and forgive as we have been loved and forgiven. This doesn't mean that you let someone walk all over you. This, uh, you know, we, we want to say that in the right way, but it does mean that no matter what someone else does, we have to choose to do what God says is right. That's the hard part of this story. It's hard for us as the church because when it gets tough, society around us says, dump them, move on, cancel them. But what is God saying? So this story, it has layers upon layers. Firstly, Hosea and the immoral behavior of Gomer. Then God is loving the immoral people of Israel. And then God is loving us as we continue to sin and reject him. This story is one of beauty and it's one of restoration, one that can actually give hope to marriage, actually give hope to relationships and brokenness. Do you know, but the most important part of the story is that our God has a redeeming love that will run after you for all eternity. So let me remind you, church, once more that whoever you are, wherever you're at, whatever you've done, God wants you and he wants all of you for eternity because he loves you just as you come. 
And we think God might want to remind you of this this morning.